when I finally got my samples together, I approached the NFL. The NFL did not see where the category was covered. So they saw the opportunity. But because it was all new to me, they gave me, and I laugh about it, they gave me a license to fail. (laughs) Carl Banks remembers the moment he planned what he would do when he left the NFL. Even as he was playing at an elite level at the height of his football career, Banks had his eye on his next act. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Crystal Laurie. An episode with a sports great like Carl is a privilege for any New York Giants fan like me. My dad raised me to be a Giants-Yankees girl, just FYI. And those of a certain age definitely remember watching Carl Banks in real time in his glory days with the Giants, the big blue wrecking crew of the 80s. I mean, I was really young, of course. 12 years in the NFL, two Super Bowl championships, all-pro linebacker, athletic prowess, no doubt, but the foresight I just mentioned, him laying the groundwork for his post-game career is what I think really separates Carl Banks from many other former pro athletes. Today, he's not only a football analyst on TV and radio, which is often a next step for players like him, but he's running his own very successful clothing line, G3 Sports by Carl Banks, a subsidiary of close to a $3 billion company. He's cultivated strong merchandising deals with major teams in the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL, plus 175-plus college teams and even some NASCAR deals. Carl says to get to that level, he had to convince many people along the way that he was truly a serious businessman. And in this episode, he walks us through how he made his vision real, turning sports, fandom, into a wearable experience, not just pieces you would wear to the stadium. A multiple bucket list career story for sure here with real world takeaways from an NFL legend. And I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Carl, thanks so much for being on the show. It is very cool to have you. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited. You know, being a native New Yorker and having a lot of sports team options, I'm happy to say that I was able to dodge the Jets bullet at a very (laughs) early age. I am a lifelong Giants-Yankees fan because that's what my dad was. That's awesome. No disrespect to the Jets. Of course. But if you were... I'm assuming you're of a certain age where if you started as a child, you would have had 30 years of misery. (laughs) You're not old enough for the first Super Bowl that they ever won. So it would have been up until this point, a lifetime of (laughs) misery. This is true. I have a lot of Jet fans that are friends, right? A lot of friends that are Jet fans. And when you talk about the epitome of long suffering, it's been that because it's just been so up and down with them. I worked there with Bill Parcells for four years. There were some pretty good years there, though. We hope things turn around for them, of course. But I just wanted to tell you that I am a fan, and this is such a privilege to have you on the show, to talk about your career journey and how you've so successfully transitioned from the NFL to the fashion industry and running your apparel line. Why don't we start our listeners off with the origins of that? Because I know you've always had an eye on your post-game career. So you had that foresight. Tell us about how it all started. The transition from sports into business, it started the day I walked into the Giants locker room or probably before I was drafted. But sports was the thing that was never a given for me. Michigan State, I went to, I was an All-American football player there. We were a very bad football team. And my goal in life at that time 
was to graduate, work in an ad agency, and eventually run an ad agency because I was a communications major. And I just love writing, advertising, and just the whole creative process. Right. I didn't have any expectations as a football player. I knew I was a pretty good football player. I'm not discounting that. But the fact that my college was really, really bad at that time, and I had no idea if I was going to be drafted by the NFL and if I was, what round I was going to be drafted in. Didn't get invited to all the all-star games. I had to play in a crappy all-star game in order to even get invited to the combine. So all of that, you fast forward to the day of the NFL draft, and I'm the number three player taken overall, like the third player taken in the draft. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Now, I'm in Michigan in my coach's office in East Lansing, Michigan. Bill Parcells calls and he says, hey, I drafted you and I didn't draft you to sit you on the bench, right? So I'm a Detroit Lions fan and I followed the Bears and the Vikings. So I really didn't know too much about the New York Giants other than, you know, I knew Harry Carson and Lawrence Taylor. But then I started to research. I'm like, they have four all-pro linebackers. Right. Where's my place there? Yeah. Where's my place? And then I was reminded of that very thing you said. The first day I walked in and introduced myself to Harry Carson, it was Harry Carson and Lawrence Taylor both sitting out and I was outside the training room. And I was just in for my physical. All the rookies were in and I saw those two and I run up and I introduced myself. Hello, Mr. Taylor. Hello, Mr. Carson. I'm Carl Banks. Pleased to meet you. And Harry Carson said, so what the hell are you going to do to get on the field? <laughs> I was like, whoa, this is, uh, this is the big league. Right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. I mean, because they had four great linebackers there, Brad Van Pelt. May he rest in peace. But he was my childhood hero. Mm -hmm. We grew up in the same communities and our schools played each other. He was a little older, but he was like our hero because he, he did everything. Baseball, basketball, football, everything really, really well. And then he went to Michigan State and I went to Michigan State. But it was just like I did not know what a rich tradition of linebackers they had with the Giants until I walked through the door. Now. That said, considering I didn't know I was going to be drafted that high, didn't know what this football career thing was going to end up being. Sure. I was going to give it my best. I never doubted how good I was, but just not taking anything for granted, I started looking at how I could develop my interests outside of football. And two of my interests were obviously the communications field. And then fashion was always a passion of mine. At the end of my first year with the Giants, I started to explore New York City a lot more in trying to understand how fashion worked, because I thought I saw some opportunities. And this is like, what, late 80s, early 90s, just to get some context? No, it was mid-80s. You were going down to the Garment District, right? I think I read that. Yeah, I thought I saw an opportunity for fashion in sports, right? Mm -hmm. I wore the brand Starter, and we'll get into this whole full circle because now that brand is in my stable. That's the brand that really made me fall in love with the fashion aspect of sports. The brand that really said that fandom could become a wearable experience. Understanding that process and, and spending some time with the founder of Starter, David Beckerman, 
really got it. He really understood how the presentation of sports should go. It inspired me. So that next year, I'm literally two years into my career, I'm looking for opportunities to kind of start a business and to be what starter is a little later on in life, in my career. And I saw the first opportunity because there was no one doing leather coats in sports, right? Mm -hmm. He had t-shirts and all the other categories were covered. So I spent the better part of my second year off season at Bettina Leather on 38th Street between 7th and 8th. Cool. And just developing samples and understanding the process of how to put the garment together, how it should look, creating a jacket that could be sold commercially. When I finally got my samples together, I approached the NFL. The NFL did not see where the category was covered. So they saw the opportunity. But because it was all new to me, they gave me, and I laugh about it, they gave me a license to fail. Because <laughs> they gave me big and tall, suede-only jacket. Right. <laughs> that was my first license, right? Mm-hmm. Big and tall, suede-only. I made it work because there was a market for leather NFL coats. Had some success, went back to NFL, and I said, can I have leather? I said, okay, we'll give you leather, big and tall, suede, big and tall jacket. I think I grew that business to, within a year, about 8 to $10 million in sales. Nice. Yeah, it was. And, you know, being here in New York, in a lot of companies like Foot Locker and there was Dick Sporting Goods, there were a lot of sporting goods at that time. And JCPenney was a big customer. They gave me a shot. They had a customer base and I grew it and I went back to NFL. So 1988, I went back to NFL and I said, look, I've proven I can do this. I need all sizes. And my goal obviously was to do all outerwear and then from outerwear to become full service, right? Right, right. From t-shirt to fleece, everything. And you kept going back and asking. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, as you develop a core competency, And you've been able to look at the competitive landscape Mm -hmm. and see that you have something special. And I realized that early on when developing leather jackets are not easy. Leather jackets in 32 colors for every team (laughs) is something that a lot of companies to this day still don't want to do because it's hard to get factories to do it. Right. That makes sense. I was on to something. And then the NFL let one of their bigger partners get into the leather business, and they did a black leather coat with just a logo on the chest. Wasn't too concerned about it, but they had a bigger distribution network, so they could somehow squeeze me out. But the NFL was now proud of the fact that one of their players was doing well in business while he was still playing. And so they continued to support what I was doing. But in 89, when I, 88, I went back in and said, can you give me all leather coats, all sizes? And then that's when the reality hit me that it was time to scale the business because the NFL said to me, we love what you're doing and this is great, but we also love royalty checks and we believe your business can be bigger. So you've got to find an alliance or a partner or someone who can help you grow this business if we hand you the business in all sizes. And that alliance, which you still have to this day, was with 
G3 Apparel run by Morris Goldfarb. And I know you've told me that he really recognized the power of sports and a captive audience. Morris will share this if you ever have the opportunity. Our partnership was the reason G3 is so big in the licensing business right now. It was the first deal he ever did with me show that if you've got brands on shelves, you control real estate, you control consumer interest, if you will, or you can appeal to consumer interest. Yeah, you really helped them adapt their model. Yeah, yeah, it really did. And it opened his eyes to a whole new way of doing business at retail. And because he's such a brilliant man, and I I say this all the time, even if we didn't do a deal together, I'd walk out saying, that guy, Morris Goldfarb, is one of the brightest guys I know. Now, the next challenge was, okay, how do we get factories to do coats in 32 different colors? So I had to build a design team. Aside from my sample guys, now I had to scale the business. They had internal people that could design. But then I had to go find people that love sports that could design. So my designers came in as basically fresh out of college and have been with me since. And some didn't go to college, but they love sports, so they got it. And Morris found two factories. And this was a competitive advantage that I had over everybody in the industry. I could make jackets. Think about this. If you're my competitor, you sell T-shirts, you sell hats, you sell sweatsuits and jerseys, and you sell one leather jacket. You go into JCPenney, when you present T-shirts, you probably show 10 or 12 different types. Hats, you do the same thing. Jacket, you show one. Right. I line up my meeting in a JCPenney. I have as many leather jacket options as he has T-shirts. When I walk into JCPenney, when I walk into Foot Locker, Dick's Sporting Goods, Macy's, I can offer each and every one of those retailers a different jacket. It gave me a greater market share, but it made every retailer feel special. Sure. But the beautiful part about that is that my competition couldn't get a factory to do that. A factory would say, I'll give you one color jacket and you can put your logo right here. Our factories made whatever we asked them to do. And we got them set up. And that's the foresight of Morris once he embraced this. But that was our third meeting when the decision was made. The fourth meeting was after he talked to factories and said, okay, I think I'm going to give this a shot. But your commitment to this business is going to be the key to its success. He said, I'm not babysitting. You've built up a customer base. I expect you to continue. I'm like, I expect nothing less. Yeah, We've scaled the business over the last 25 years to become the, well, we're the number one outerwear manufacturer in all of sports, but we've become the most important licensee in all categories outside of, I would say, the shoeware companies and fanatics. We're probably the third most important licensee across all sports leagues. I'm very proud of that. And congrats to that. Thank you. You should be. Super proud of us as a company to be able to do that because we continue, you know, it's never been an easy road for us. The fact that we had to settle for the little bits and pieces and to show that we can do a lot with a little, it's almost as if they think all we want is another little piece and we'll grow that and then come back for more. But we really want to come in and have a big ask. But it's just sometimes the way that the properties, the enterprise of NFL and NBA 
there's always somebody paying for rights and they pay more money. If we can coexist in those spaces, it normally turns out better for us anyway, because of our diverse manufacturing capabilities. We don't do just sports. I do sports. G3 does everything. So what ends up happening is that I can be a lot of things to a lot of retailers. My relationship with Home Shopping Network is I'm probably their most important sports vendor because of all the things we can do in the space. So it's not just men's coats, it's men's active wear, it's women's active wear, it's men's and women's athleisure. We have so many different things we can do. And I have the resources internally to really keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening in fashion. So I get to stay ahead of my competition in a lot of ways because I'm not reacting to trend. I'm on the front end of trends when we have brands like DKNY, Calvin, Levi's, you name, we got Carl Lagerfeld. Within the G3 family. Right, within the family. And then within those, under those banners, there are probably 10 categories from shoes to handbags to suits and everything in between. Sure. So I can walk the floors and see what's trending. I can stop and ask a question about, like, if Calvin Athleisure is probably second to Lululemon. And I said, this is not in sports in any significant way. Can I have a conversation with you guys just to understand what's important to the female customer? Not the female fan, because I'm in sports fashion. If I'm going to sell the female customer who happens to be a fan, I win. Right. If I'm selling to a fan, then it's stuff that they wouldn't wear outside of going to a game. But if the elements are there in the functionality in a garment that performs the way it should, you're going to feel good about putting that garment on, not just going to the game or sitting on your couch. You're going to feel good about going out, running your errands, getting your coffee, doing whatever. Because number one, the garment's not going to be designed just as fan gear. It's going to be fashion, or should I say, fandom that's wearable. And that's been your vision all along. Yeah, just making fandom a wearable experience, but having an infrastructure here at G3 gives me the ability to do more than any of my competitors. That's kind of the journey into fashion to where we are today of me, this football player who went on to be an all-decade linebacker, a pro bowler, two-time Super Bowl champion in the Giants ring of honor, a Hall of Fame semifinalist who didn't know if any of that was going to happen. So I started to build that presence. What can we take away from all this? Communication, the ability to communicate, right? Yeah. Intellectual curiosity, learning how something works and learning the process, strategic thinking, Mm. knowing where your opportunity is in the market and finding a way in and then growing from within that market. It's about, to sum up, being proactive and opportunistic is what it really comes down to. And if you can do that and your ability to ask questions and to communicate will get you a long way. But it's, again, it's developing a core competency, understanding where your vision fits in a marketplace and adjusting that vision 
along the way to allow it to expand within and to grow a, a larger footprint within the marketplace. What do you think your most important adjustment was? You know how we sometimes look for that pivotal moment? I'm not sure that always exists, but there must have been a couple that were really strong. The biggest adjustment was meeting Morris Goldfarb, going from a $10, $11 million business to a $100 million business, not being able to do that without a great infrastructure. So having the ability to grow, that was the biggest adjustment. Because I could have been resistant saying, no, you know what? I just want to stay here in this space while the NFL is saying to me and the NBA is saying to me, hey, look, a lot of other people now see this as a really big opportunity. They're going to, we're going to keep carving the pie up a little more, or you can grow this and be the authority in this outerwear space. Those adjustments were on the fly. Hmm. I don't think there was a, ever a seminal moment of, Ah, here it is. This is where I had to pivot. Right. And I, I think I have an unfair advantage there because I was inherently built to make adjustments just from my sports experience. There you go. Lessons learned from the field. Another question that I was going to yeah. you know, bring in for you. You're just perfect at this. Like, you don't even need the questions. You've got all the answers. Go on. Inherently, in the world of business, the decisions and the adjustments that are made, you're afforded time to contemplate days, quarters, years to look at adjustments, right? In football, it's success or failure in 35 seconds to make the adjustment and do it again. If something goes wrong during the course of a game, you can't let a bad play become a bad day. This has been really, really fun to have you on Bucketless Careers. Tell me where we can find you. Carl Banks, G-I-I-I. That's both on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm not a Facebook person. Mm. I'm contemplating Clubhouse. Oh, I just joined that. It's a little bit of a ramp up because it's like a whole new community that you're building up. It won't be hard for you. You know, you'll have a million followers in about an hour, but... <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting for networking and you can go into these rooms and people just talk and take the stage. Right. And, and in sports, taking the stage is all fans want to do. You know, they want to have their, hey, ask a Jets fan. They'll tell you anything <laughs> you want to know. Totally. I hope I didn't alienate all my Jets fans listeners with that at the top. They completely understand. I feel for them. I told you, I feel empathy. <laughs> Where do we find your line? Where's the best place to get your pieces? Best place to get my pieces are fanatics.com. They sell the bulk of most of our sports and starterblacklabel.com is where our in-house, where we sell most of our starter product. Those two are the major hubs. But if you tweet me, I will answer any question and I can send you wherever you need to go to get your favorite team. I love that. You're accessible to your fans. Yeah. And we have to do part two because there was actually another pivot when e-commerce really took big investment into sports. Okay. You know, you had to make a decision between Amazon and fanatics in sports. You couldn't be both. Let's do that, Carl. I would love to. Thank you for even suggesting that. We will because there's more there. There's more. I'm going to hold you to that. Absolutely. All right, Carl. This has been a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much. 
always appreciate you joining me on the show. A quick note, I'm planning to have guests that are not only bucket list career candidates, but also coaches from time to time to help us get more in depth with takeaways and help you to apply what we're sharing here. How do you take action, right? You deserve the best 2021 career-wise and in every aspect of your life, we all do. I really love reading your reviews, by the way. If you have a moment, you can do it on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. Thank you again. Talk soon. An ironic media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.